you have a Bible or some device, smartphone that you'll be looking at the Scripture with us this morning, we'll be in Luke chapter 6. Um, we've been working our way through Luke for the last several weeks. We'll, we'll be in this um, Gospel for several months. Um, what, about 99% of the time what we're doing here at Redeemer is we're just teaching through a book, chapter by chapter, um, trying to alternate between Old Testament and New Testament. So we finished Ecclesiastes and then stepped into, into Luke. Um, so Luke chapter 6, just a little bit of recap. Um, remember, Luke is written as, um, from a second generation believing, believer perspective, um, looking to write to a more non-Jewish audience and to lay out an orderly account um, from the time of John the Baptist all the way through Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, um, and then into the, the, the generation of the church in Acts. So Luke and Acts go together. They're, they're the same book with a kind of a, a beginning and a sequel, um, and Luke is writing looking to give a deep assurance to those who are struggling with the conflict and, and the issues that the early church has had, um, and what its roots are and aren't in Judaism. And so this morning, we're going to enter, um, uh, we're really for the first time some of Jesus' teaching. We've seen him say some things briefly, we've seen several healings so far, but really we're going to going to begin to move into where the heart of Luke and, and his teaching. So um, last week, as Ryan uh, preached, we saw that Jesus was, was on a plane. Um, he was surrounded by a crowd of disciples and others who have gathered, and he's going to begin to teach. Um, someone to take this passage and say it's exactly the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's very likely it's not. Um, it's either an earlier teaching um, and then the Sermon on the Mount is a fuller teaching from, with some of the same material, or Luke has just taken um, his editing skills and made this a very concise portion because the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and following is, is far more substantial and long. But let's pick up in verse 20 this morning. Um, I'll, before I read that, I want to remind us, he is speaking to a very religious audience. Right, those who are, have been awaiting the Messiah, those who are, are hopeful, who aren't sure what it's going to look like, um, and yet they've been faithful Jews. Remember that John the Baptist, when he comes, is saying, listen, there, there's one coming, and he's, he's, I'm trying to turn your heart back to receive God, to know that you're in need of repentance. And he, as he is speaking to this religious audience, um, Jesus is really going to bring some division. And I don't think we always think of Jesus in, in that light. And He's going to say, listen, I'm going to give you a couple different camps as I'm teaching, and I need you to know which camp are you in. And I think this message is often good for West Texas as well, right? That we kind of view Christianity as this, this big uh, conglomeration, and we're just all somewhat associated or tied into it or, or around it. And the message is this, is, hey, there's two camps. Which one... Are you in? Remember earlier in Luke, um, during in, in chapter two, when Elizabeth um, is is kind of prophesying over, he, this is said. I'm sorry, this is Simeon. And and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. Right? He's saying, Listen, some are going to are going to be benefit from this, and some aren't. Like there's this idea of division, and in Luke three seventeen, when John the Baptist is preparing the way, he says this: His winnowing fork is in his hand, 
to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And he's, he's given this, this agricultural image, right? As he is moving the wheat, right? And it, the substance stays and the, the straw is blown away and burned up, right? That there's a division that is taking place. And we're going to begin to see that play out in this teaching today that Jesus is asking the audience who is listening, but He's also asking us, which, which camp are you a part of? And we're going to see the word beatitude this morning. We're going to see the word woe. So I want to go ahead and define those before we read the passage. A beatitude is simply um, a blessing, right? It's a, it's a blessing. Um, and a woe is a warning. It, it, it's looking to someone with, with, with emotion and misery going, if things don't change, judgment and danger are coming for you. Like it's, it's not here yet, but it is intending and it is close. And so we can say that God um, here through Jesus in this message this morning is going to give some blessings and some warnings for us. So let's pick up in verse 20 of Luke chapter 6. And he, meaning Jesus, lifted up his eyes on the disciples. And he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did so to the prophets. But woe, a warning to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. We're going to stop there. Jesus this morning, in, the, in these beatitudes and warnings, in these woes, He's going to be speaking on two levels. He's going to be speaking on like a, a physical level, but as, as well as a spiritual level. And when he says in verse 20, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. We need, we need to make sure here that he is not saying that poverty in and of itself is a virtue. right? That if you're poor, you're automatically virtuous. Uh, poverty is, is a neutral thing. right? You can be poor and wicked. You can be poor and righteous. That poverty is not the one that defines that. Um, but, and he also is not condemning all wealth. There's a strong warning here, but he's not condemning all wealth. We know that because we see some of the kings like Solomon and David, right, and their wealth. We know um, the rich young ruler, right, he comes and he tells him, I want you to sell what you have because it, it has you, right? And, and that man goes away sad because he had much. He's unwilling to do it. We know Jesus tells us that we can't serve two masters, right? God, money. We know that he says that that it's, it's, it's hard for the wealthy to enter into heaven, right? talks about the camel through an eye of a needle. We have Paul's warning here as well. This is 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, which is proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Right? We, we notice that what Scripture doesn't say is that it doesn't condemn wealth and says that you can't ever have wealth, right? There's no, there's no ratio, there's no amount, there's no levels given there. But there are strong 
warnings um, to us for those who would be rich in the present age. Um, and we can easily take ourselves off the hook and say, well, I'm not rich because I know someone who has more than me. Um, we need to understand that in this room, regardless of where you, you feel like your status financially is in this room, that according to the rest of the world, the vast, num- the vast amount of the human population, that we're all well. That we all do well. And so the, the warning this morning would be for all of us when it becomes to wealth. And so we don't see poverty as a virtue itself, um, and we don't see that all wealth is condemned. And so now we have to ask, why is He warning them? So verse 20, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Write good news to the poor. Verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Why is He warning them? Because wealth, um, financial resources, gives a level of independence, right? Gives us options. It gives us power and influence. It gives us security. Right? And in those things, we can begin to mask our needs. We can begin to believe that we can take care of whatever it is we need to take care of. Our situation will be um, taken care of because we have the means and the resources to do it. But we know that in fact that, our, that wealth is, is fleeting. That it can mask and it can numb the reality. And that sometimes until tragedy strikes or sickness tr- strikes or we are near death, do we understand that our wealth wasn't what we thought it was. You can read countless biographies and autobiographies of those who were mega wealthy, right? And at the end of their life saying, oh, I would give it all the way to have 20 more years. I'd give it all the way to start over again. Right? They, they understood that it, it didn't give them what they thought maybe it did during their lifetime. And so what he's telling us in verse 20, right? Like, blessed are you who are poor, is he's saying, listen, if you're poor, you are far more aware of your desperate need. Right? You are, you are dependent, and you are longing for a better day. And so if you are physically poor, then you're not like, super grateful for that. Like You're longing for something different, and something more, and something better, and you know that you're needy. Which ties us into our spiritual situation here. Right? He's told us, I've come for the sick not for the well. I've come for those who know they have a need. And so he's asking us, like, not only are you physically poor, he's saying spiritually poor. Do you understand the need that you have that you can't meet on your own? That you cannot solve the separation that you have between humanity and God, between yourself and God, for the wrath that He has towards sin. You are desperate and you are in need of rescue. And you're longing for a better day. Do you realize that or not? Right? And so what he's saying is wealth and, and comfort and ease in this life can masquerade and make us convinced that we don't have a need. That we can take care of our need. That we're in control. That we are responsible for it. Remember as in, um, earlier in Luke, Jesus quotes from Isaiah when He is in the on, on the Sabbath. This is Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. In Luke 1, you see this. And this is um, Elizabeth, as I mentioned earlier. 
And she is in Mary's then song following Elizabeth the Magnificat. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Like she's um, kind of prophesying about who the Messiah, who Jesus is going to be. He's saying like the, the proud are brought low and the humble are brought up and the rich are filled and or the poor are filled and the rich are sent away empty-handed. He's saying He's coming to turn things on their ear. He's coming to give those who know they have a need what they're longing for and desperate for. They know their need. He's saying the poor have an advantage here because they know their need. We go on to verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. In verse 25, Woe to you, a warning to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Both of these are in effect, right? If, if you're poor, you're most likely hungry, right? You're not satisfied. You're not getting all that you need and all that you want. And if you're wealthy, right, you do have enough. These are the, either the hunger or the, the fullness, the satisfaction here are tied to your financial resources. These are an effect of poverty and of wealth. And he's reminding us here that God is providing something beyond physical food. There's a spiritual component to this. If we go back to Exodus, we think of the, the nation of Egypt, who is the power one, who is the powerful one, who's got the army, who's got the might, who has enslaved the people of God. Right? They have all that they need and people to do it on behalf of them. Israel, the nation of Israel, are the ones who are crying out, saying, God, rescue us. Like we, are, we are dying here. Please see us and bring us out. And that God meets and hears those who are spiritually, physically poor and enslaved and impoverished, and He rescues them from the hand of their oppressor. And then as He takes them out into, Egypt, or out into the wilderness, Right, that He begins to provide for them. He provides protection. He provides direction. He provides literal food and literal water. He is caring for them and showing them that He will provide everything they need physically as well as spiritually. Listen to Isaiah 49, uh, verse 10. And He says, They shall not hunger or thirst, Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for He who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. He's saying, listen, your circumstances are difficult, but it's not, the circumstances aren't going to dictate I am. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to care for you. And if you turn back a couple chapters to Isaiah 25, another promise that they would have been looking for and hoping for for the Messiah. And on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, right? Rich and poor, for all peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. There was this longing that He was going to provide their need and that hunger was going to go away physically as well as spiritually. Here's, here's the contrast He's drawing for us. Are we willing be satisfied with the temporary only? Do we view this life in, in the six, seven, eight, nine decades that we get, do we view this as the only thing that we're going to have? And so we've got to get all that's ours and make sure that all, 
right? That me and mine are taken care of. Or are we going to see that there's more at play? We've had the, the band carnival in, in town this week. I want you to imagine if, if you have a little one, um, right, the, the lights and the sounds and the people, like, they are like drawn like a moth to a flame to this thing, right? Um, and, and like literally we, we left after spending several hours there and they were like, are we going back? Right? Like, like, are we going another day? Now, imagine telling your, your kids, hey, I know the carnival's in town, um, but if, if you won't go, because as a family we're trying to save some money, if you won't go and hold off, um, in, in a, this time next year we'll be at Disney. Right? Like, we'll, we'll do Disney instead. Right? How many of your kids are going to be like, okay, that's a good trade? Like, maybe there's a rare kid out there that understands the significance of the offer that you've put on the table. But most of them, give it to me now. Right? I want that now. And maybe some of them are, are, are wily enough that they're thinking, I'm not just going to get the carnival. You're going to cave in and take me to Disney anyway. Right? Like, I'm, I'm just going to ride the fence and get both. Like, they, they don't really think there's a deal on the table. They're just going to take both. Right? But, but if, if you were to say, do you want this thing now that's good? It's fine. But it's not that. They're going to take the thing that's now. And what Jesus is warning us and, and, and encouraging us here is He's like, listen, are you taking the food and the money and the ease and the comfort that this life has to offer and saying, this is all that there is and I'm going to get mine? Or do you understand something more is coming? Something better is coming Something more substantial and eternal is coming. Don't be short-sighted. See beyond today. See beyond this moment. And look for the rest of this life as well as into eternity. It, it's the same conversation Jesus is going to have with the woman at the well, right? Where He's like, what if I told you I could give you water that's everlasting? And she's like, I don't have to come to the well anymore? Tell me where this water is. Right? She's thinking on a physical short-term level, and he's speaking spiritually. I can give you everlasting water. Right? When he offers himself as the bread of life, when he tells us that he gives us rest, he is always talking in long-term, eternal, permanent, satisfying ways. But what we often want is immediate gratification. We want it here and now. Instead of taking what is more and significant and lasting. Right, that we are quick to forget the promise and we'll take the short-term fleeting pleasure. So he'll give us another one here. Verse tw- the end of verse 21. Um, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. The end of 25. Woe to you, a warning to you who laugh now, for you, will mourn, for you shall mourn and weep. Now listen, this is another effect that if you're poor, you're most likely hungry, and you're most likely lamenting and weeping the reality of your situation. And if you're wealthy, you're most likely full and satisfied physically, and you're more likely to be joyful and laughing. But the issue here is the laughing that's being talked about is not levity, it's not joking, it's not enjoyment. This laughter here in verse 25 is different. It's a laugh of derision. It's a laugh of mocking. It's looking at others and saying, I am obviously superior to you. And you are, you are self-satisfied, you are condescending, and you are boasting because look at my status versus yours. 
right? We, we, we see this in our society. We see this in our culture that those would elevate themselves and then laugh at those who are beneath them. So he's telling them, listen, if you're weeping now, if you see the reality of the world now, you're going to laugh. You're going to have joy. And if you are condescending and boastful and self-satisfied and laughing at the, at the situation of others, difficulty is coming. There's a warning here. Don't be that. Don't do that. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 13. Um, sorry, I, I'm moving ahead a little bit on you there. Um, we'll get there in just a moment. As he he is reminding them, if you see the reality of the world around you, then you know you have need. You know things aren't right. You're lamenting those things. You're longing for better. Your spiritual need allows you to see that this world isn't exactly the way it's meant to be. But if you're wealthy, and if you're spiritually um, numb, proud, right, like un- unable to see, then you can look around and say, this world's not so bad. I've got everything I need. I'm good. Why would anyone want this world to be over? Right? He's, he's asking that. It's revealing to you. What are you longing for? What are you hoping for? And so in both of these, with both hunger and, and, and being full, with weeping and with laughing, we're reminded of Ecclesiastes, right? He's saying, like, you can chase smoke. You can see the good things in life. The joy, the pleasure, the food, the power, the money, all these things, and you can chase it, and you're not going to get it. It's always going to be just out of your reach, just out of your grasp. And even if you're in the midst of it, you couldn't grab smoke. You can't hold on to it. And so you're going to find yourself not satisfied and not content. You're going to... um, have a, you're going to chase temporary laughter and temporary fullness. <laughs> He's saying, but if you're poor, you're going to see the reality. You're going to see it. There's a, there's a temporary fleeting reward of avoiding weeping and hunger where you can gain fullness and laughter for eternity. The fourth one is this. Verse 22. So blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. Now listen, there's a qualifier here. Why? On account of the Son of Man. This isn't just because you get to be a jerk and say, well, I'm blessed because people hate me. Right? Like, you don't get to do whatever you want, say whatever you want, treat people however you want, and say, bring it on, you're, you're heaping blessings upon me. If you're a jerk, you're just a jerk, right? Right? He says, if, if people hate you or exclude you or revile you or spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, because of Jesus and following Him and trusting Him, He's like, then you can rejoice and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. But they did the same to the prophets. Verse 26, But a warning, woe to you when people speak well of you, for their fathers did also to the false prophets. Listen, the Pharisees have already condemned and spoken um, negatively about Jesus and His disciples and the way that they eat and the way that they don't fast. Right? They, they're already beginning to do this. And so He's asking them, where do you want your approval from? you want it from Rome? Right? Like, Think about a tax collector who's, who's a Jew working on behalf of the enemy. He's like, and Rome is probably you know, applauding them and saying, hey, good job. 
like, where do you want your approval? Do you want it from the, the conquering nation? Do you want it from the religious um, uh, leadership culture? Do you want it from the outside culture? Like, this is the question that we have to wrestle with today. Do you want approval? Well, who, what are you willing to give up to get it? If you want the culture to applaud you, if you want, if you want the, the larger world to say that you're doing good, there are things that you're going to have to do and things that you're going to have to say and you're going to have to walk away from Jesus to gain approval. And so he's telling them, listen, if you're going to follow me, disciples, if you're going to follow me, crowd, people are going to hate you. They're going to exclude you and they're going to revile you because of me. But rejoice. Rejoice. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Right? Great. And if they're speaking well of you, then you might be doing something wrong. Go to Jeremiah now. He says this in uh, Jeremiah 5, verse 12. Talking of some of the false prophets. They've spoken falsely of the Lord. They've said, He'll do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor will we see sword or famine. The prophets will become wind. The word is not in them, and thus it shall be done to them. And if you turn over to chapter 6, Verse 13. Um, from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, not well, saying, Peace, peace. When well, there's no peace? Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they will fall among those who fall. And at that time, I will punish them, and they shall be overthrown. He's saying, Listen, when, when judgment is coming, when the, when the prophets were warning about who God is and what He's going to do and how He's displeased with them, you would have some others come in and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not who God is. Peace. It's going to be fine. And they would, they would tell the people what they wanted to hear. And so which prophet do you think is going to be loved? The one who's saying, hey, we're in trouble. God is not pleased. We need to change some things. Or the one saying, everything's fine. We're good. Don't worry about that. We're okay. Peace. Peace. So he says, listen, the false prophets were spoken of well because they were saying what people wanted them to say. They were hearing what they wanted to hear and they were wrong. And the prophets were maligned and hated and cast out and ignored and forgotten and shamed because they were speaking the Word of God. And so he's telling them here and he's telling us, you're in good company if you're reviled for my name, you're in good company. Jesus is going to be reviled. His disciples are going to be reviled. The prophets were reviled. And if everyone's speaking good of you, you may not be speaking enough truth. Right? It's the same in, in, in 2 Timothy where he says, there will come a day where, where those who claim Jesus are going to only want their ears tickled. They're only going to want the, what the message that they want said. They're not going to want the truth that can divide and bring judgment and bring conviction. So he says, like, what's happening here is you're trading the substance for the shadow. He's like, instead of getting the truth of the Word of God, instead of getting Jesus Himself, you're saying, um, I, I just want approval from the culture. I don't really care about approval from God as long as people around me like me and say good things about me. He says, but listen, God sees you. God sees you. 
And He's going to reward you for it. He's saying your circumstances actually don't dictate how God feels about you. Not at all. And so again, what's He doing? He's lifting our chin, and instead of looking in the moment about wealth and having enough to fill our belly, right, and, and having laughter, He's saying, look up. There's a promise of something more. Something eternal and something lasting. That you will be satisfied because currently you're spiritually poor. Right? You will have laughter because right now you lament the world. Right? That your name will be rejoiced in heaven because you trusted and were faithful despite your circumstances to God. And you're going to be satisfied with eternal food that is lasting forever. God sees and will honor. It's not for nothing. So stand fast. Look beyond this moment and this time in history. Your circumstances do not dictate. Jesus does. He sees you. He sees you. He's going to reward your faithfulness in this. Listen, what Jesus ultimately is doing here is, is He's talking to this crowd out. He's going, He is flipping on, the, on its head their idea of blessing and approval. Right? It's, it's, he's completely changing it. Because up until this time, they would have viewed their circumstances of have, would, their circumstances would dictate how God felt about them. And so if they were healthy, if they were wealthy, if they had some approval and some fame, then God must be happy with me. Right? Like this why they would they thought they were horrified when Jesus was able to heal on the Sabbath, because they're saying, if you were honoring God, then he would say, if you weren't honoring God, then he wouldn't heal. And so why is God answering your prayer? Why is he healing when you're not, right? He's flipping everything on its head. And he's saying, no longer do your circumstances dictate how God views you. Which church, for, for, the, for us as Americans, is a warning. That just because we are at peace, or healthy, or have um, the finances that we need, or approval of the culture, right? We go, well, God must be happy, because otherwise He would take these things from me. He said, no, no, heed my warning. Heed my warning that those things don't dictate that God is approving. They don't necessarily dictate that He's not approving either. Right? We have to look deeper. It's not just on the outside. It's spiritual. We can no longer assume that those things mean that God is pleased with us. And we saw that in Ecclesiastes, right? That the, that the race doesn't always go to the fastest. Money doesn't always go to the most intelligent. Right? The battle doesn't always go to the strongest. This world is broken and affected. And so are we spiritually aware of our need? Are we hungering for the things of God? Or are we really pretty satisfied with the world around us? That's, he's calling us to land in one of these two camps. He's reminding us that this world is not our home. This isn't our home. That we are passing through. And we have a task before us while we're here. Right? To make much of Jesus. Right? To call others to come find the food that we have found. Right? To make much of Him in, in, in every situation in life. But maybe the question Jesus would ask of us this morning is this, is are you satisfied with this world? Like if you could have it just as it is, your current life right now, apart from Jesus, would you keep it? Or are you dissatisfied with this world? Now listen, if I'm honest, there have been times in my life where I'm like, if I could have exactly what I have right now, the relationships, the resources, all these things, apart from Jesus, that would have been compelling to me. And that, that shows in that moment 
that I am not spiritually poor. That I was not aware of my need, of my sickness. That I was beginning to build a kingdom apart from Him. Are we dissatisfied with this world? Because listen, the Beatitudes and the woes here are completely at odds with the American. Right? They, They just are. That our desire for comfort and ease and things and resources and and health and wealth and acclaim and cultural approval are all warned against. That we are to be spiritually poor because we're aware of our needs. We are to be longing for something more substantial than the comforts of this world, but it's peace with God. And that we would lament this world because Jesus is in the process of restoring it and making it right, and we're longing for that day to come. When every tear is wiped, when there is no more death, and when there is no more sickness, and there is no more pain. The good news this morning is this, is that Jesus meets us in our need that we cannot satisfy on our own. He rescues us. And He, he, feel, he fills our hunger. And He meets us in our lament and says, it will be restored. It will be. And He satisfies all of these things eternally. And so this morning, would we heed the warning that, that Luke is writing that Jesus gave the crowd then would we consider our own current circumstances and ask the Spirit to give us wisdom and insight and clarity and would the Word of God show us right now which, which camp are we in? The one being blessed or the one being warned against? And would we respond accordingly? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your correction. Thank You for the, the gentle nature um, in, in which You allow us to, to wrestle and consider Your Word. I thank You that, that You don't let us stay um, in a place of spiritual pride, of, of ease, of comfort, Lord, that You are constantly shaping us more into the image So Lord, would Your Word come alive this morning as we hear both the blessings and the warnings. God, those of us who know You this morning, we say thank You that in in our desperate need and our spiritual poverty, You have rescued us. God, that You've given us a food that satisfies eternally and that we have tasted it even now. Father, we lament the world around us Lord, thank You for the reminder that this isn't our home, but we are headed home. Would You lift our chins to look beyond um, our next day, our next paycheck, our next vacation, our next interaction, God, and to to give us eyes to see long-term and eternal. God, we know that there's um, a, a balance there of still living in this world and having jobs and having relationships and doing the things You've called us to. God, but would we do it as we look towards the horizon? we look to the place that you're calling us to that we'll be home forevermore. When we trust that you are going to get us there, that we can follow you, we will be faithful to your word. Lord, speak, your people are listening. In Jesus' name.